You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. I'm Lieutenant John Paul Auger, and this is FDNY Pro's podcast, our second annual ProFit edition. We're sitting down today with Captain Tom Tanzosh, Director of the FDNY Fitness Unit here at Randall's Island Fire Academy. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, JP. Happy to be here. So I have the luxury of getting out of the studio today and uh, traveling here to Randall's Island. It's been a while. We haven't seen each other. You and I share a few things in common. Yes, we do. Obviously, we both have a passion for the fire and emergency service and a passion for fitness. Granted, you're at a much higher level than I am. Don't sell yourself short, JP. (laughs) No, but what we also have in common is that our fathers, who don't know one another, were at one point uh, in their respective FDNY careers... Uh, fire officers in charge of this very unit. That's correct. And uh, you're running that unit today. That's correct. I have uh, great memories of actually coming out to the Rock when I was younger with my, my brother, Stephen, who's also on the job, and uh, joining the probies for workouts back when uh, Dad was in charge. It was it was great. As, as do I. Uh, similar yeah. memories. Uh, so it's, uh, that's pretty special. Things come full circle, right? <laughs> they sure do. Let's start today first by maybe you can let our listeners know what it is that the fitness unit at the Fire Academy does. Sure. The FDMY Fitness Unit is primarily charged with training our probationary firefighters, and that's during their 18-week academy session. We see them twice a day. We're in charge of PT, as well as administering the FST, which stands for the Functional Skills Training, uh, basically like a firefighting obstacle course. In addition, we have some tasks with the incumbent firefighters uh, when they come out here for training, potentially weight loss, uh, questions, concerns. We help them address that. We also do our best to acquire equipment for firehouses, and we are also involved with the CPAT program and the fitness awareness program as well. So you just mentioned CPAT. What's CPAT exactly? So CPAT stands for Candidate Physical Abilities Test. Uh, That's a national standard that most of the large professional fire departments are using as their entrance requirement. So CPAT is the physical test that is now given instead of the old physical that your father and my father took. And that has to be passed in 10 minutes and 20 seconds, starts with the Stairmaster, goes outside. Uh, We do CPAT training, not CPAT testing. CPAT testing, of course, is done by DCAS. So we assist the candidates who are coming on with the intention of becoming firefighters with some of their CPAT training. Okay, and then you mentioned fitness awareness program. Right, so the fitness awareness program is something that we do here. I'm not sure if other departments are doing it. Basically, people who are on the list who know that they will be coming to the fire academy at some point are given an invitation to attend the FAP sessions. They then come down and we test them in something that we call the baseline test. The baseline test, if you want to just go into that quickly, we also do that in the academy. It provides us with a look at the person's physical abilities from not only an aerobic conditioning standpoint, but also what is their upper body strength endurance like? What is their pulling strength like? We do a mile and a half run. If you scored 12 minutes, you would be given a point score of a zero, actually. For every two seconds under that 12 minutes, you would get a point. So let's just do an easy one, JP. If you ran 11 minutes flat, I give you 30 points. And now we're starting to build your baseline score. We also test them in the standard push-up where they lower their body to a dumbbell and then extend the arms fully at the top and that is done to the cadence of one every two seconds. Every push-up that the candidate does over 30, they get a point. 
do another easy example. They do 40, they got 10 points. We also do the pull-up. The pull-up undoubtedly is upper body pulling strength important for firefighting? Of course it is. So we test them. Our base number is four. If you do four, you get zero. Every pull-up over four, you get two points. We'll do a nice easy one, they do 10. That's six over four, there's 12 points. Okay, that's added to their score. And we also test them in the standard sit-up, and that is done in the time frame of one minute. One minute, as many sit-ups as you can do. Again, every sit-up over 30 gives you a point. So now we calculate their score for them. And a lot of people are pretty shocked when you are actually tested to a standard with their results. And, and a lot of us are guilty of it. You go to the gym, you work out, but are you doing it to the standard? Is that a perfect push-up? Or are you maybe not locking out at the top? Or are you maybe not lowering yourself all the way to the bottom where a monitor's fist would be or a 10-pound dumbbell in our case? And we find that this is a big wake-up call for a lot of people on what is my current fitness level? How does it compare to the people who have come before me? How does it compare to the average probie who graduates the academy? Because over the 18 weeks, we do see a, a great improvement in our baseline score in probie school and also in the FAP program because we have a lot of people come down, they have that, oh boy, moment, and then they attend basically every FAP session that is offered to them with the instructors who are going to be their instructors during the academy. I like to tell them, you're getting a little bit of a look behind the curtain here. Here are some of the workouts that we do. This is how you should be preparing to be a firefighter. And they change. They change their behavior. We have seen marked improvement between the regular person who comes in versus the person who has attended 10 FAP sessions. It's night and day. To be clear, then, the Fitness Awareness Program, or FAP, essentially, it's a program that the FDNY is, the FDNY offering, is offering it to um, potential hirees. These are, these are folks that are on a civil service. These are service, folks that are on the list. Yeah, on that civil service list that we'll be pulling from for yes. new hirees. And you're kind of giving them a little insight into, here's where you are now, here's where you need to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would imagine that uh, has quite an effect on your attrition rate. The regular attendees to the FAP program, I don't want to say 100% of the time because th there are special cases that come up, injuries. They graduate, and they come here, and they're successful in the academy. It is a completely different academy for the person who has attended 10 FAP sessions to the person who said, nah, I don't need that. I'm good. Well, are you good? You were never tested. And what you're doing in the gym, well, maybe that's not what you need to be a tactical athlete to be a New York City firefighter. Tactical athlete. I mean, it's a buzzword, JP, yeah, right? I know. I've, been, I've been hearing it, a lot of that. It's everywhere. Basically, the tactical athlete versus our everyday sports athlete. What's the difference? That's what it boils down to. So you look at a professional athlete who plays soccer. He's the goalie. He has a very defined set of tasks that he is going to be expected to perform on game day. He has the box that he basically stays in. He moves laterally, right? He moves front to back. He has to be able to kick the long ball. He has to be able to throw the long ball. But that's really it. They're not going to show up one day and the goalie is all of a sudden going to be the striker. But our firefighters, our tactical athletes, are assigned different positions basically each time they show up for work. They also, depending upon where they work, the occupancies are different, the buildings are different. You have to be prepared for anything that can come your way. You can't just say, 
oh, I'm a private dwelling company. I'm never going to need to go up 14 flights of stairs in the projects. Well, listen, you're going to get relocated at some point in your career and you might catch that job. So you need to be prepared to get up to that fire floor and then be able to go to work. So we start looking at firefighting from a, a training standpoint. You look at your typical response. Tones go off. Get your jacket on. Get on the rig quickly. Heart rate's coming down. Respond to the scene. Let's say you're in the engine. Respond to the scene. Grab your roll-up. Hump up the stairs. Okay, heart rate. What's going on here? We're spiking again. Heart rate's raising. We drop off our gear. We put our face piece on. We're masking up. Our heart rate's coming back down. The truck is working on the door. We're stretching and, and flaking out the line. Then we're making a hard push to get into the fire apartment. We're putting it out. We are now again, heart rate is elevated. Then the heart rate is starting to calm back down as the truck is opening up and we are completing with washdown. Well, it looks to me like high intensity interval training or tempo running where we're running hard, then we're recovering. We're running hard, then we're recovering. So we've modeled some of our training here at the fire academy around that type of training. And you find that that prepares probationary firefighters for their, their exit exam? Absolutely. And, and we've seen great success with the program that we've implemented. You know, it's not unheard of. Even though we're doing interval training, probies are still improving a minute, two minutes, in extreme cases, three minutes in a mile and a half run over the course of 18 weeks. And why? Why, JP? Is it because the trainers are great and, and the program is great and all of this? Well, yes and no, but it's the consistency factor. You have an 18-week mandatory PT three times a week program. We are going to see results. So what are some of the probationary firefighter requirements for that exit? So in order to start training, the probationary firefighter has to run under 13 minutes for a mile and a half. That's to start training. That's to start. That's day one coming in through the gates. Day one, here you are. To get out, you have to run that mile and a half in under 12. Of course, I don't like to train people for just 12 minutes because my opinion is you would be so much better if your goal was to come here and run nine minutes because you're going to have a higher VO2. Your FST is going to be so much easier for you if you would train to that higher level, to train for excellence. We're not training people to be adequate or competent. Competent is average. We're training for excellence. Can we push that needle of performance further? It's not a surprise to me that the probie who comes in and is running nine minutes for the mile and a half is absolutely crushing FST and oftentimes goes after that perfect score of 100. And that is quite an accomplishment. So you guys are doing an awful lot with probie school and probationary firefighters. But you mentioned earlier that you, you do a lot for incumbents as well. Now, the fitness award. Now, here's an award that your unit has been uh, giving out for quite some time. Sure. I mean, and, I, and like you said before, they've been giving it out since I have 1984 as, as the first recipient of the award. So the fitness units uh, in the past have been doing this for a long time. What are we talking about in terms of this fitness award that you, you do for incumbents? Is this a long list? The Oreo Palmer Memorial Fitness Award is not a long list, JP. Um, I have 277 names on this list dating back all the way to 1984. Uh, of course, there's some names on here. Oreo Palmer is obviously on there. Oreo Palmer. Now, the fitness award had been renamed. Has Oreo had been Palmer. renamed, correct. And who's Oreo Palmer? Oreo Palmer was a battalion chief. Um, he passed away on September 11th. It was reported that he got all the way up to the 78th floor, and he was giving uh, handy talkie transmissions, actually, 
on September 11th. There's other names on here. Jimmy Meyerjack, back when he was a firefighter in Ladder 19 uh, in 1984. And, of course, the gym upstairs on the third floor is, is named after him. It's quite a list and, and quite a bit of history. And one of the things that the fitness unit now uh, is pushing is I want my instructors to take the Oriole Palmer Fitness Award. And what does that what And does I that want entail? them to be successful. What are we talking about here? What, I mean, what, what, sure. what do they need to achieve what is it? To, to receive that award? Okay. So the Oriole Palmer Award, we start with the strength training components. And that's going to be 72 sit-ups must be completed in two minutes. Now, this is a full sit-up. And we do find that most people who come down to attempt the award will crap out on the sit-ups. Because A, they either don't train for it, think it's easy, or B, they haven't been training to the standard. You have to have the fingers interlaced behind your head the entire time. Your knuckles have to touch the ground at the completion of each rep and the start of the next one. So it is a full all the way down, all the way up. Your knees and your elbows make visible contact and you go all the way back down. Right? So now 72, it's 36 in a minute. It's pretty fast cadence. We do see a lot of people come out and they do 40 or 50 in the first minute, but then they hit that muscular failure. And then that's it. They'll struggle for the last 20 to 30 seconds. They can't get a rep because they haven't put the time in. Training to the standard. Training to the standard also transfers over to our push-up portion, which is our strength endurance portion. And they have to complete 50 perfect push-ups at their cadence. There's no time component to it. So if you want to do 10 and hold the high plank nice tight, high plank, that's fine. But you do have to go all the way down to the monitor's fist and then come all the way back up to full lockout at the elbow. And a lot of people, when you're training, well, they just rep out push-ups. And they don't come to that full lockout at the top. And there's a difference there. And a lot of people do find out on test day what the difference is. And then the pull-up component, it depends on the person's body weight. But let's just say, typically, you have to do 10. 10 perfect pull-ups, full dead hang at the bottom, chin clearly over the bar at the top. None of the half rep pull-ups that you see a lot of people doing at the gym. Then within 10 minutes of the strength training component, we are outside on the starting line for our run course. And this is a run course that I actually had certified through USA Track and Field. They have to do five laps of the course. You know, each time the mile marker moves a little bit further. But I know at the end of the day that they ran exactly five miles. And they have to do that in under 40 minutes. So it's an eight-minute mile pace for five miles, though. And that is tough. We start to talk about mental toughness and grit and resiliency. You have to dig deep to get that five miles in in under 40 minutes. And we've had people come out, they pass the first three, and then they fail to run. So it's definitely the Oriole Palmer Fitness Award is challenging. And JP, it's the only test that the FDMY has that says you are fit. And then on successful completion of the Oriole Palmer, you're given a pin that you are allowed to wear on your Class A uniform uh, over your name, which distinguishes you from everybody else. If you're on the FDNY and you think you're in shape, prove it by passing the Oriole Palmer test. And how do they do that? They give Tom Tanzash a call down at the fitness unit? They call us up. They call the fitness unit up. I'll tell them the next scheduled date, and they got to show up. All right. And be prepared. All right, so we're talking a lot about strength training, endurance training, the tactical athlete. Tell me a little bit how nutrition plays into all of this. 
And so what we're talking about here, like, is the, the three broad categories being proteins, carbs, and healthy fats. Right, complex carbs and healthy fats, like you said. And we could sit here and geek out on nutrition and different diets and different fads. Portion control is also important, and it seems like we've gotten away from that. So let's just talk really quick, protein, carbs, and fat, and portion size. Look at the size of your palm. That's how much protein you're supposed to be having. Double it up for your vegetable. Throw in a little bit of a healthy fat. They say the size of your thumb. So that's the size of the avocado that you should be eating. But instead, we do a, a chips and a guac, and we eat the entire bowl. We have to kind of, as a culture, as a profession, we need to get away from eating because it tastes good and move towards eating to fuel the body for performance. So in that same article, uh, there's some mention about um, energy balance, right? So I can, when I read that, I'm, you know, I, I think about what we've all heard you know, very anecdotally, uh, it's important to have a balanced diet, right? right? Um, but what folks are really getting at is balancing our food intake and the energy that we expect to get out of that intake. Right? So what does that mean for the tactical athlete? Something else that, that comes to mind uh, as we're talking about this is managing our body fat level. Because you take the tactical athlete and you say, well, hey, are you better at 20% body fat or are you better at 15 well, the answer is obvious. You're better at 15%, no matter who you are. Most professional athletes, uh, what are they walking around at? For example, the CrossFit guys. You know, I'm, you know I like the CrossFit, JP. <laughs> but th those guys who go to the games who you see on ESPN, they're walking around at like 10% body fat to 8 It's not really sustainable for the tactical athlete. We're looking at more of a 10 to 12%. If you're not at that level of body fat, the first thing that you need to address is getting to that level of body fat before you start anything else. Because all of your biomarkers are going to come back better just from that. And balancing our diets. And balancing our diets is an important component in that. You know what's funny about diet, JP? And this is from a, a podcast that I listen to. When you ask somebody, how's your diet? What do they usually tell you? That's ah, pretty good. It's great. Everybody <laughs> says pretty good, right? Well, what does that pretty good mean? And what should it mean for our tactical athletes? Well, it should probably mean that the soda machine that's in the firehouse should be completely dusted over. We shouldn't be using it. There's an old um, earmarked, it's a yellow piece of paper up in the gym right now that says uh, one can of soda a day equals 10 pounds in a year. So you say, well, yeah, but I don't work every single day of the year. You know, I only have that soda at lunch or, or maybe dinner and I only work my 24s. But okay, so you're having two a, two a tour. And we're going to call that half. You're putting on 10 pounds in a year just from the soda machine in the firehouse. And we're not even talking about food choices yet. We're not talking about the, the donuts that are sitting on the shelf in the morning, you know, that the, the, the new probie brings in because he's got to bring in something. And what's the thing that's open early in the morning? I tell all the probies this. I say, listen, don't be that lazy probie. Don't be the probie who goes there to the local convenience store, buys the box of Entenmann's donuts, and brings that in the paper and says, oh, I'm good. I, I'm covered here. I brought something in. You're not helping anybody out. But, you know, how much can we fix with one podcast? <laughs> so uh, one more thing I wanted to talk about in terms of nutrition and fueling our bodies, which I think is often overlooked by most Americans probably, is hydration. Sure. And I, I, and I don't have any uh, stats on hand, but I think I could uh, safely say that most of us probably walk around in a dehydrated state on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and JP, we've seen it here at Proby School 
as well. All right. We have multiple sessions where we talk to our probies about hydration and the importance of it and what some of the risks are if you're not properly hydrated because you can't just hydrate right before the workout and think you're good. This is a constant. Which is sometimes a common misconception, right? That, hey, uh, if I uh, drink a gallon of water this morning before right, my good. day starts, I'm, I'm good, good now. Hydration is continuous. And JP, just real quickly, you know, it's also dangerous if you are overhydrated. And, and I believe the article goes into it. So there is an optimal level of hydration. And yes, it is dependent upon the person. Uh, it is also dependent upon the activity level. As a probationary firefighter coming to the academy in the summer, in July and August, well, you have to know that the night before, the two days before, you need to be preparing for that FST evolution. You need to be preparing for that run. And how about in the field? You need to be preparing for that job that may come in at any moment during your tour. How many firefighters that you and I know only drink coffee during the tour? Is it going to be a surprise to you or me that they are going to cramp up at that fire? No, it's not a surprise. So recently, the Fire Academy hosted uh, an FDNY competition. Yes. Uh, it was conceived between your fitness unit or, and uh, the FDNY Foundation. Correct. correct. And it was a rowing competition, correct? Yeah, on the Concept 2 rowing machine. My mission is I would love to get a rowing machine, a new one, in every firehouse slash building that we have in the city. The competition was pretty simple. It was team of four people from the same firehouse or EMS station will show up and compete over the distance of 5,000 meters. And the fastest 25 teams take the rower home. Simple as that. You gave away 25 rowers. 25. I mean, the FDMY Foundation came up huge for us, and they secured the funding to purchase the machines. I mean, we're talking about a $1,000 machine. And not a lot of firehouses have just $1,000 laying around for fitness equipment. So we wanted to get these critical cardiovascular machines out there to our firehouses and EMS stations. But how do you just give them out? Well, make them compete for them. Uh And the question was, who's going to show up to this thing? Is anybody (laughs) going to show up? Is it going to just be 25 teams? They're going to row and then everybody gets one and goes home? Well, no, 92 teams showed up. Wow. And it was, uh, it was something. It was something to see. And everybody got into it. Everybody was competitive. And it was close. It was close. All right. So tell me about why rowing. Honestly, why rowing? Well, JP, the rowing machine is a non-impact machine. And if you have a firefighter out there who's put on 20 pounds, well, maybe they don't want to use the Stairmaster or the uh, treadmill because of the impact on the joints. So we have the rowing machine, no impact but a full-body workout and incredibly challenging to your aerobic system. And your anaerobic system if you're doing sprints on it. So it hits both. So, okay, I'm going to jump over to another article from this ProFit edition that dealt with injury prevention. Okay. Um, Tactical athletes. Yes. Firefighters, EMTs, paramedics. We are susceptible to injury, and we're probably prone to a whole litany of injuries, common injuries. What are some of those injuries that tactical athletes in the fire and emergency service face? Typical to, to actual athletes, right? We, we see the injuries in the knees, uh, lower back strains and sprains, and of course, the injury that the article went into, shoulder injuries. 
Yeah, shoulder and neck injuries. Oh, shoulder and neck is huge. Um, you're talking about tactical athletes who are carrying around gear, which is sitting on their frame, pulling down on their shoulders, helmets on their head, pulling the neck forward. Uh, many people walking around, shoulders rolled forward, poor posture. And that's what we went into in this article with some tips on exercises that you can do to strengthen the surrounding muscles to potentially, hopefully, limit the chance of injury. So, Tom, what I, I like to do at the end of each podcast is give my guest um, an opportunity to, to share a parting thought with our listeners, first responders okay. nationwide. Right. Uh, I'd like to offer you the same. Sure. Uh, you know, JP, one thing that I've found to be really effective is group training. All right. And, and we do it up in the fitness unit where we, we get the basically the entire unit together and we do a workout. Um, you push yourself harder. You're more accountable to your team. And I would say that it's our responsibility to each other to make sure that we're in shape. So those firefighters out there in the field, you know there's one or two in each firehouse that are really into fitness. Well, why are you not getting your fellow firefighters who are watching your back, protecting your life, who might one day save you? Get them in the gym with you and work out with them. Some of that shared suffering. But let's get better together. Because one day, that firefighter in the kitchen is going to be dragging you out, and you want that person to be in the best physical sh- shape possible. Who's on your starting five, JP? That's the question I ask myself, right, when you're at work. You have your 25 firefighters in your unit. If you knew tomorrow that you were going to the job, who's in your starting five? Are you in it? You want to be in that starting five. So on our spectrum, we have complacency, competence, and excellence. And it's not just in physical fitness. It's in our tactics. It's in our techniques. Well, how about just masking up? Let's just start there. Well, yeah, I can get the face piece on. Okay, is that good enough? It took you a minute. It took you two minutes. Is that good enough? No, it's not good enough. Competency. I put it on in 30 seconds. You're pretty confident there. What we're really striving for and what we push people towards is that excellence. And that is can you get that face piece on fully suited up, ready to go in 10 to 15 seconds? That might be the difference. That excellence versus competence. Your 15 second mask up versus your 30 might be the 15 seconds that person needs, that you need to get in there and get them out. And that's what we're striving for. That's what we're pushing for. We're not training people to be competent. We're training them to be excellent. Tom. Thank you very much for your time today. This has been great. Thanks, JP. No problem, bud. We'll see you soon. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. 
Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.